welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Hello, base campers. I hope you're all doing well. I speak a lot about our hero's journey, both the individual and collective, each chapter requiring a slightly different version of yourself. Each man, woman, and child will have their own version of this, and all will help elevate the collective. Isn't that fantastic news? Each and every person has the opportunity to embrace their courage, face their fears and their demons, and contribute to the healing and redemption of the human soul, the human spirit. This hero's journey will bring you many gifts, dignity and worth, mission, unconditional love, the development of grit and strength, and the expression of courage, which always inspires others. I have had many initiations, as many of you know, and so have you, whether you acknowledge them or not. Getting married and moving far away from my friends and family was an initiation. Doing the new warrior training was a clear initiation. Becoming a father was another initiation. But perhaps my greatest initiation was taking on my sobriety from alcohol. The reason I'm bringing this up is that this episode will air on March 7th, and March 8th, Wednesday, will be my anniversary, marking my 10th year of sobriety. So many blessings have happened after this initiation. Initiation after I finally committed to myself. It was like God started to bestow me with these incredible gifts. My marriage got a lot stronger. My health and perspective improved. I wrote a book, and that led to me having this podcast with you with 172 episodes. I seriously doubt any of these things would have taken place without my stepping through this dark tunnel and into the light of clear seeing. Anyone can do it. The alcohol and drugs would have you think that there's no way you can live without them. After all, who would you be? My answer, a more courageous, slightly new version of yourself. And I want to honor each and every one of you, wherever you're at. I've been blessed with an incredible group of friends over my lifetime, many of who are addicts and alcoholics. I even know many who have taken the same initiation that I have taken, gratefully walking the sober path. I was approaching March 8th and wondering who I should have on my show. And as I was looking over my guest list, I saw Dr. Bob Bear's name, and that was it. Bob knows more about addiction than just about anyone I know, both as a recovering addict and a therapist and addiction counselor and a director of a top-notch treatment center in Texas. Let's go sit around the fire with our respected friend and mentor, Dr. Bob Bear. My guest today is Dr. Bob Bear. Bob has been a leader in the mental health and addiction field for over 20 years. He is the CEO of Deep Waters Recovery Programs and is the author of a new book, which we'll talk a bit about today, titled Stop Doing Shit You Don't Want to Do. Here is my interview with Dr. Bob Bear. Okay, I am here with Dr. Bob Bear, new warrior, author, therapist, Bob Bear. Bob, welcome back to Basecamp for Men. It is great to have you on the show. Hey, Tony. Good to be back. Yeah, you know, your name came up. Somebody was listening to one of our old episodes and said, God, I love that. I love hearing the conversation you had with, with Dr. Bob Bear. And I was coming up on this episode's going to air uh, on Tuesday, which is March 7th, and my 10-year anniversary of sobriety is March 8th. And I thought, what a great opportunity uh, to get you back on. And you've got a new book coming out, uh, which is Stop Doing Shit You Don't Want to Do. Did I get that right? Yeah. <laughs> I love this. I love this title. People are going to buy this thing just on the title. I know I'm going to, but um, I'm so happy to have you back on. Um, and, you know, I consider both of us 
I got a raspy voice today. I've got I've got a really bad head cold. I just got back from traveling and I was going to reschedule, but I thought, you know what? There's something about having a raspy voice and talking about addiction that kind of go hand in hand. So I went ahead and <laughs> it went ahead and stayed with it. But, you know, the last time we did an episode, you said, you know, I am an expert in more ways than one uh, on addiction. And, and I consider myself an expert as well. Um and when did it all start for you? Like, how old were you when you started using alcohol or or other substances? I'll, I'll weigh in as well. But, you know, when did the whole thing start for you? Uh, were you a young person? Were you in college? Were you in high school? When, when did you start kind of using and realize, oh, man, this is this has got something for me to do, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, well, let's see. I'm uh, first. I'm glad to be here with mm-hmm. you, Tony. I just. I guess there's people listening in, but I every time we do one of these things together, I just have this feeling like, man, we don't see each other much. And what yeah. a, this is my only opportunity. But I guess I should speak to the question. Uh, I love it. We, we'll talk about golf and uh, and uh, what actually the book uh, is. It, it's a it's it's a good book actually. I feel good about it. But more the topic of stop doing shit you don't want to do yeah. has a lot of relevance. So I hope we get to talk about we, that. We de- we definitely will talk it's about the unre- book. It's not unrelated to the question yeah. of uh, uh, when did you start? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Because so we'll, yeah. you know what I was doing. I was uh, as you know, as most people in the the culture is waking up to this. But what I was doing was medicating my unresolved trauma. Yes. And, uh, it's that's where it starts. We feel anxious. We feel mm-hmm. um, maybe what the clinical people like to call depressed mm-hmm. or just life isn't going good. And if you can get something in your system, and I'm going to use I statements here in a minute. If you can get something in the system that brings our level of serotonin and dopamine and all the feel good uh, chemistry, <clears throat> you bring it up to at least level. Wow. Yeah. That's the answer. Why wouldn't it? It's, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I grew up in a family, had a lot of conflict. They were, quote, a good family, <laughs> you know, yep, yep. but there was a lot of dysfunction in there. <clears throat> and, you know, as we know, from zero to 10 years old, that dysfunction goes in the body of the child and they carry it around. It's lodged in the body. Mm-hmm. So at about 13 years old, I was in um, anybody that's in a part of the country uh, that has drum and bugle core. It sounds kind of beat and blow, kind of low, but it's actually very sophisticated work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I joined uh, a couple of different units and uh, got my first taste of traveling around on a bus with a bunch of older teenagers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's where it all started, baby. Yep. And uh, uh, marijuana, alcohol, uh, just for the next until I was 35. So whatever the amount of years that is well that's uh, that's that's funny because i had the same kind of initiatory process because i was a young athlete that had some skill and so i was when i got to high school i was bumped up to play varsity football and varsity baseball well that puts me on the bus and in circles with the seniors right and they yeah. know a lot about alcohol and marijuana And, uh, you know, and so I was initiated that way. And I thought, you know, these are the coolest guys in school. These, these jocks that also like to party and all the girls like them. So I, I was smitten from the beginning, but also just, you know, when I started using, oh man, did I love it? And did it feel good? Right. I was like, oh, this is, this is for me. You know, I guess I had no idea I was going to take so long 
and that it was going to have so many negative repercussions later on in my life. You know, I just didn't, when you're, when you're 14 or 13 or 15, you just don't see that far down the road. You're just like, Oh, this feels good. Now let's do this more. Right. So, yeah. And if you're built to be an addict, looking down the road doesn't mean anything. That's no. not gonna that's gonna stop us. You mean like uh gee, it's not a good idea. I might wind up in jail someday, or uh yeah, so yeah. No, we don't ever think about stuff like that. It's like, can I feel better now? And yeah. if it don't if it works to make me feel better now, I'm doing it. That absolutely is the, that is the announcement, <laughs> the yeah. internal and external announcement did, of, did, uh, of an addict. Did did it was it really difficult for you to quit? Was it something that you took like multiple runs at, you know, like, did you get into rehab? You know, like, was it, I, we, we went over kind of the circumstance of it. What had you hit bottom? But I guess my question is kind of like for the, for the listeners, so there's, I, I know a bunch of people that have quit. Um, I know some people that have taken kind of runs at quitting and then no, it's not my right time. Were you somebody that did a stop start thing or once you said, okay, this is it, you got yourself in a program, a treatment program or AA, and then that was it. Was it, was it something that you just, you did it and you followed through or did you have to take multiple kind of like, let me see. Oh no, I'm freaked out. I got to go back to using, uh, you know, how, how did that dynamic play out when you finally got into recovery and it stuck? Well, I, I just about to say two or three of my cliche things that I've been saying. Uh, so after I hear myself say these things enough times, I wonder if there's not another version that's more accurate. But here's the cliche. The cliche is I came in through the back door mm. of AA. I didn't do my, my story is a little bit different because I'm terminally unique, you know. So, right. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I drank and used uh for let's see 13 to 35 is like how what 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 is that 13 15 22 yeah something like that yeah and uh and then but but here's here's the story the way the way i remember it and that is that i just i it didn't matter whether it was alcohol or drugs or sex or love or you know my first addiction was food Mm. <laughs> that might be for all of this might be for another podcast to talk about the process addictions. Yeah. <laughs> but here's how I found my way to the substance use uh, recovery. Uh, uh, Once, you know, all, we don't, we don't get high on cocaine, alcohol, marijuana, uh, or any of the drugs that we internalize. I want to just put that out there just to kind of, throw a monkey wrench in the way that most of the, our culture thinks about substance use. We don't get high on that stuff. What happens is it gets in our system and it stimulates our natural uh, chemistry, which is mm-hmm. serotonin, dopamine, adrenaline, oxytocin for, for, uh, for love addicts like myself. And to, and, and, and I will, uh, th- this is how it went. I drank and used until it didn't work that well anymore. And then I went to sex and love and gambling and, uh, I, I was doing everything I could to try to keep it down. Mm. And uh, then my wife left. We had a child that died that cracked me wide open. Mm. <clears throat> and then I slammed shut uh, even further after that and had to medicate even more intensely until my wife finally went away. And the joke I tell, it's not, it may not be funny to some, but uh, when, when they're, when, and we went back and forth with each other uh, probably 10 times 
Uh, a lot of people understand that love addiction, push me, pull you dance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, finally, when she's, when, when the person is married, you know, it's probably time to stop the dance. Right. <laughs> so she was like engaged to be married and I hit bottom right there, Tony. I was suicidal, had a plan, had the pills. Mm. And, uh, so the way that I, the, the way I talk about it, that it's somehow t- unique, a unique, uh, uh, doorway in is I was hurting so much from the detoxing of my love addiction that I just fell into the arms. I went to the church first. I thought I could pray it away. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then this, I happened to stumble into a, uh, Episcopal priest who was both deeply, he was a therapist also, but he was also like 20 years sober. So he sent me to the program. Oh my God. Thank you, God. But that was a, that was a miracle. Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> It took me, I immediately dove into Codependence Anonymous, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, and another a couple other 12-step programs, because I thought you people, Tony, yeah, <laughs> I like yeah, to say yeah. you people, I thought you people, the drug and alcohol people, were the very worst. I'm not like that. The right, right. level of denial was profound. Mm. It took me about another year to realize that I had been doing exactly the same thing. Is all these folks that I thought were just living under bridges. No, people in AA are the smartest, wisest, most creative people I've ever met. And once I got a taste of that, I've been going for, well, it's 32 years now. <laughs> but I, I I dove into recovery and all the other programs. So morning till night, I was doing nothing but recovery stuff. Uh, uh, that's how I stayed sober. But I was, yeah. but I was carefully avoiding the uh, drug and alcohol topic for about a year, the first year of my recovery. So it's a, it's a little bit of an oddball doorway in. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's my mine. It. I had a, the 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 experience of, you know, it it was really heavy alcohol, cigarettes. Um, when I crashed, I just, I was just feeling like shit. I was so tired of being hungover and my hangovers were just coming. You know, I could only, I could have two drinks thinking, you know, can I just drink? Can I just self-medicate a little bit and not feel like hell? And it's just like, my liver was just like, I am so done with this. Like, I'm just going to, you know, you're you're just going to suffer now until you figure out. Um, But when I finally started going to AA, Um, and it was about six weeks and I started to feel profoundly better, like, like astonishingly lighter. And I had the experience and I don't, I know not everyone's like this and I don't want to, for the people that had a really like, you know, white knuckle, like day, just get through each day. I don't want to minimize what their path was like. But mine was almost like the thought of quitting was so terrifying that the quitting itself, once I started to kind of rebuild some new neural pathways and started to feel a bit better, um, that was my escape. That was my like, okay, I think I can do this. I think I can live each day without using pot or or cigarettes or alcohol. Um, it was like this, the demon was the thought of me not being somebody that drank like i was so my identity was that guy like whether you liked me or not i was a guy that was fun to hang out with in a bar you know i had funny stories and i had the men's work and 
you know, I had a lot of things to say about men. I was an author. Well, no, I actually wasn't an author. I didn't write a book until I quit, actually. Um, but, and I didn't know what I would be without that. I didn't have an identity. It's like, if you strip me of the happy-go-lucky party guy that likes to drink and smoke, what is going to take its place? How do I know that guy's going to be better? Maybe he's going to be just a dick. You know what I mean? Like, and so I don't know if that resonates or you ever hear anything like that, but I had the experience of once I got clear of it and it wasn't that long, really, I looked back and went, God, that took me that long to quit and to feel better. And that's what I was so afraid of. And so I, you know, I know that not everybody's experience is like that. And like I said, I don't, I don't want to minimize the guy that's just grinding through a day at a time. Um, and I, I, I credit AA for helping me draw the line, but I, I, I did not stay in that community. I didn't feel like I particularly needed it. Um, and so mine, my path is different than yours. Um, but I also, I wanted to speak a little bit to, to that kind of demon of holding on to who you think you are with it. And, and just the terrifying, what am I going into if I don't have this, you know? Yeah. You're, you're, you're one of the, uh, million example, millions of mm-hmm. examples of uh, what everybody says. Wow, well, he's got to be ready, or uh, yeah, or he hit bottom, or uh, uh, that long list of things that popular culture refers to. But actually, all all we're talking about here is the pain was sufficient. Yes, and that's the that is the thing that ties us together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not a question of whether you're ready, whether you think you're ready, all of that uh, stuff. It's uh, you know, is the pain sufficient to wake me up to ask for help, right? At the workshops that I do, I do these weekend workshops for men and women called the Deep Waters Experience. Mm-hmm. We have a whole process. It's about learning how to say the words, I need help. Yeah. Yeah. They don't come naturally. I don't they know, don't. Especially, especially the for, men. Especially the men. Absolutely. No, I got this handle. I can do it. That's the yeah. way we think about it, right? Yeah, it's, well, it's, and... Yeah, there's a just want to say a couple more things about yeah, yeah. uh when I was listening to you, it reminded me of this cliche that we say in AA, which is uh um, you know, you got uh uh you you have to be ready and but you know, you only have to change one thing and that and then the, the newcomer's eyes light up. Really only one thing, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one exactly. thing is everything. So yeah, yeah, it's like you're talking about um, just a thousand things like drinking a beer during barbecuing. Yeah. How am I ever going to not drink a beer during barbecuing or exactly. while I'm watching a game or exactly with, uh, with a cigarette or whatever the long list of things that we, <clears throat> and here's just one last thing on that topic for anyone that's interested in the way addiction works. The addiction, addiction is not the evil deal it's a, the addiction was our best friend our addic- the addiction was the medication that was keeping us alive while we were carrying around this mountain these bags of of uh heavy trauma some some for some people extremely heavy trauma That's for other nice. people more subtle uh stuff that has to be sort of uh so, sort of picked picked at to be able to see but it's it's subtle but it's also uh you know, running our lives, which is, mm-hmm. you know, this book that I wrote is all about, let's take a look at the shit that's running your life. And before you can even look at it, you got to get, you got to quit medicine, self-medicate. 
So I love pain. I'm Bob and I vote for pain because yeah. it, people come into my office, Tony, a lot of times. I don't even have an office anymore. I'm a virtual dude. And uh, so I can uh, act. I, sometimes I have sessions on my boat, by the way. Nice. Um, <laughs> nice. But, <clears throat> but they, it, a lot of times when folks come in and they're not using, but their life's shit, it's like I scratch my head and say, oh, this is going to be a tough one. Mm-hmm. Now, the guy that you, I know what to do with a guy that's using and medicating his shit, I can yeah. send him somewhere where he can stop using and feel the pain. Yeah. The, the resistance to feeling the pain is not as much of an intellectual process as it is a, a physical substance use process. Now, when I get a really smart guy that comes into my into this work uh, and his life is miserable, trying to help him transform his uh, control freak thinking is a bigger, harder topic than helping a person get to 12-step recovery. <laughs> right, right. Well, and you, you said the pain needs to be sufficient. You know, for me, I was 46. And I didn't, my marriage wasn't going well. My wife was, had a foot out the door and I had a young son. And so the stakes were high for me. I I was like, this is not who I want to be as a man. I'd done men's work. I'd done the Mankind Project and been a leader there. And, you know, I had danced around the drinking thing for a long time in I groups. And there was just a point where it was like, you know, what are you going to, what are you going to stand for? What principles are you going to stand for? Because you are at a crossroads here. And one is your, your wife's going to leave you. And you're going to have joint custody of this young boy, um, or you're going to fight for your own health and your sobriety, strengthen the marriage. And so, I mean, it, to me, you know, the before and after the hero's journey of what version of myself did I evolve into? What what was birthed by my sobriety, um, you know, is somebody I, I'm more of a man now. I think what I gained from it is... And then I'll ask you the same thing. Like what was on the other end? What was the new version of Bob once you quit? But I mean, I gained my integrity. Like my word as an addict, my word wasn't really worth a shit, Bob. If I told you something, maybe, maybe not. You know, it just depends. I was real shaky with my word with lots of people. Um, And, you know, I just got really clear about my mission. I think when I was drinking, you know, I had created a mission in the men's work, but I think because I was using, um, I could get distracted pretty easily. And when I look back on those years, you know, I was doing stuff like fantasy football and all these different things that really didn't have anything to do with anything. I was just trying to medicate and dopamine and, and get my fix. Um, and then also over here, okay, I'm going to do mission work over here and lead men's groups and all that. And I think when I, when I got sober, it crystallized. I became, all of a sudden I became a writer. You know, I'd never identified as a writer until I was got sober. Then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I'm a writer. I love writing. Uh, maybe I should do this more and podcasts and all that. So the new version of myself, I think I was better able to serve humanity um, and have conversations that met people where they were and on their edge. When I was using, I think there was a, just a part of me that was ashamed that, you know, I'm not really authentic. I'm not, I'm hiding something. I don't want to talk about it. Um, the people around me, close to me, know the truth. Um, and I feel kind of inauthentic and gross because I'm like, you know, I'm not really addressing the elephant in the room. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And no. so, yeah. And so I just, I guess I wanted to ask you the same thing, like for the listeners, who are like, well, what am I going to grow into? What, what did you, what was the version of, of Bob bear 
that wasn't there when you were using? I mean, you quit at 35. What were the new chapters that that became once you got sober, you were a different version of yourself. You had taken your hero's journey and faced down that demon. Then what was what were the gifts that you brought, you know, uh, out of that, I guess, is one way to ask it. Yeah. Well, let me reply to your question like I have every one of them without even replying to it or even coming close, probably. Because I'm thinking about everything that you just said. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, like uh, uh, the, when I came into the program or programs, they, uh, um, I, I think I was, I think I was still in the grips of the addiction, right? Um, and actually, a, a little bit like you, I found my way to men's work really early, mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, you know, up until then, I had been doing barroom work, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> yeah, I had I had been doing uh, construction, hanging out with guys who sit on the back of the truck and drink beer after work every day uh group that was my support group yep yeah <laughs> so you you know there's, there's a lot of cliches like that the people you hang out with you could probably interview them and find out about you right yeah, so exactly yeah. i was completely immersed i had a lot of support but it was for continuing the medication mm-hmm. self-medicating <clears throat> so then i got in enough pain to like try something different it seemed very corny very uh uh, what what uh, what do we say now? Cringy, yeah. uh, all this uh, touchy feely inner child. Uh, uh, the, yeah. the, 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 you're gonna go into a group and talk about your feelings? Oh my God! You know, yeah. to me, yeah. that was on the. I'm from a long line of tough guys, and that was the very last thing on my list of shit that Absolutely. I wanted to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, but uh, you know, the pain was sufficient, <clears throat> and uh, I want to repeat this. This is a unique. Uh, understanding of of uh, of addiction, and that is that the addiction was trying to help us. The addiction grabs a hold of us and says, "Here's your solution, and I'm going to keep helping you." And then, you know, when we try to let go of it, it's called detox. It's called mm-hmm. uh, withdrawals. And <clears throat> and uh, I was hurting deeply without my medication for quite a while. Which, in mm-hmm. the only medication I could find that worked. See, I tell people when they first come in, you only got. Two, here's two things I can tell you. I can't take your pain away, but if you immerse yourself in 12-step recovery, back, you know, sometimes back-to-back meetings might, uh, uh, because you will you will not be in your extraordinary pain while you're in that meeting. The mm-hmm. other thing is read the literature, get you stack up. You know, I had all the 12-step recovery books. I had all the men's work books. I, I watched John Bradshaw's The Homecoming on PBS over and over and over. It was choosing a different kind of medicine. Yeah. And I had to like immerse myself. So that's why I didn't have to go into treatment because mm. uh, I, I created the treatment. Besides, when I got sober, the treatment uh, rehab thing wasn't just a uh, the thing a lot of people do, right? But uh, it would have made actually if I'd have gotten into a good treatment program, which good is in italics and quotations, bold, everything else in that sentence, because it's very rare. Uh, uh, lot, most treatment programs do not have a staff that are in recovery themselves, and they do not have a curriculum that guides a person to sustainable recovery. But that's for that might be for another uh, podcast 
as well. Uh, uh, yeah. But if I would have gotten in a good program, Tony, uh, that would have been equally as good as the way that I just immersed myself in it. I needed that initial shot. Uh, what do you call it? Like tempering it in my system. And I've been doing it for 30 years. Mm-hmm. The, uh, uh, and I don't know the question I think was how were, what was it like? What happened? And what, what do you like now? I don't yeah. know. I, lo- I love that little piece you said about, uh, I, I had no integrity. Uh, yeah. I couldn't follow through with anything, but I, I want to remind myself that I wasn't a horrific person or anything. Right. It's just the, the addiction was my priority at the yeah. time and it, because it was working and it works yeah. until it doesn't work. And any therapist or family member that's trying to, trying to, uh, they're, they're, they're killing themselves trying to get this person to stop using really needs to stop doing that with the person and just mm. let them go have their pain. I have this thing, you know, it's not great probably to, uh, <laughs> for some people that don't quite understand how the, the disease works, but a lot of, I, I I've, I've actually said this to clients. I really suggest that you don't cut down. In fact, you might want to go use a little more so we can get you to your pain. Because yeah. it ain't working, and you can't see that it ain't working. Yeah. And the only way you're going to see it is if uh, you get some kind of a train wreck. I was in a meeting one time. A guy said that he one of his sponsees threw a brick through a glass window, broke the window. Cops got him and brought him to jail and then into treatment because he knew he couldn't stop drinking unless there was an intervention. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's the disease will take us on a perpetual ride until the train wreck. Hit. So I'm I, I'm for a good train wreck absolutely. as long as you don't die. Yeah, I have I have a couple of uh friends who are, you know, they're they're big drinkers and but they're experts. They don't quite have the full-on train wreck, right? They have fender benders, they get almost to where they're gonna just it's gonna just be a shit show, but they're really good yeah. at functioning. They get they get not quite to bottom, and then all of a sudden they're doing a little bit better and they just and then something happens and it's like, oh, this is it. This he's now, you know, 45, 50 years old. It's he he's gonna just something's gonna just completely implode. But he does it. He just he's an expert at like avoiding the bottom and avoiding what's going on. And and all you can do is watch. You can't, you can't really, right. you know, right. any the other and, thing we can do, Tony, though, is make sure we're not an enabler. Yeah. Uh I see somebody like that, and I'm gonna uh you know, I could say, "Well, it's okay, buddy. You're you're doing fine, pal." Okay, mm, all right. right, yeah, okay. Bouncing from girl to girl to girl to girl to girl. Okay, that's a no. I'm gonna call bullshit. In yeah, fact, yeah. it's uh, I'm gonna let the guy know, and I'm not I'm not tolerating it in my life. I don't even want to hear the story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah. Like, Go get enough pain. And, yeah. you know, guys like that, I was a guy like that. High, we call it high functioning yep. uh, addicts, right? <clears throat> it's like. I, w- I was very careful to pick the people that would enable me. Mm-hmm. I was a genius at picking somebody who would sort of ignore my horrific behavior. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's totally it. You know, you you said in a previous episode, it really resonated with me. I'm, and I'm paraphrase, paraphrasing you. You kind of said, you know, pretty much everybody has addictive behavior. Um, it's just kind of mask and, and we, we only notice the real shit shows. So those are the bad addicts like oh yeah. they're really struggling. Meanwhile, you know, Susie's having her, you know, three quarters of a bottle of wine every night, but that's not an addiction or whatever. And I, I really, it really humanizes the disease and it kind of 
kind of binds us all into this. Look, we all have this. This is not something that just your uncle over here or the guy that just can't hold his job has over here. We all share that. And I and I hope that the listener understands that we're not, that we're all in this together. And I was thinking about th- that all the different things we can be addicted to. My addict really didn't go anywhere. Like I stopped using, you know, uh, alcohol, cigarettes, marijuana, and all the substances. But guess what? Like I'm still addicted to coffee. Like I, if I don't have coffee in the morning, I act like a little bitch. Like it is uh, not negotiable. I have to have my oomph in the morning. I'm completely along with the rest of the planet addicted to my phone. My phone is like a fucking binky at this point. Like, I'm like, where's my phone? Where's my, you know, if I don't have my phone, God forbid for like an hour, you know, I'm like, whoa, look at, you know, look at how addicted you are to technology. Like, what are you so afraid of missing a meme, a funny thing that somebody sent you? Like, why, why do you have to have that thing in your hand all the time and golf? I mean, it sounds absurd, but I like obsess over golf. I like can't, I think about it all the time. I can't wait to play. I stop at the yeah. golf store because I want to fart around with like new club, like, oh, maybe I get this. Oh, maybe this will help. Like I'm obsessed with it. And so I'm still, my, my addict is still like running the show in many ways. It's just, I've picked like healthier things where I can kind of manage myself and live in mission and be a healthy dad and father and nobody seems to mind that I drink coffee in the morning. My wife kind of calls me out on the phone thing. She's like, are you still farting around on that thing? That's been like an hour, yeah. you know? And so for me, you know, I guess I wanted to ask you about that. And, and, and how do you, how do we dance with the things that, you know, cause I don't really look at it, those things anymore. I just kind of, and, and the one that really jumps out is probably the phone. Like maybe, there's a way I I set that thing aside, or I go. I don't. You look at the phone for a few days. I don't know, but I, I I feel like I'm in the throes, as does everybody I know on the technology side, but also the other two, the coffee and the golf. Because I think I don't know if you share both, but I know you and I both kind of obsess over golf a bit as well. well all right. Yeah. I hope I can say my response to this concisely, but it's it's unlikely. Mm. Uh, so there's a video. The, the an old comedian named Bob Newhart. Oh yeah, has a, has a video that's called "Stop It." <laughs> I rec- recommend everybody watch it. Uh, at the beginning of the video, he's washing his hands obsessively. Right, obviously he's got OCD, and then sh- <laughs> right, he can't touch the doorknob. And then the client comes in and uh, she tells this long list of shit that's wrong with her, and he's like, "Oh, that's terrible." You know, he need to stop that until she gets to the. I have obsessive hand washing, and Bob Newhart says, "Oh no, that's okay. I wouldn't worry about that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that's good. Well, I'm a little bit like that with you, Tony, around coffee, tech, and golf. Yeah, uh, right. Like, I got Bob Newhart. My, yeah, 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 yeah. I got to have my coffee and my tech and my. Uh, you know, I look forward to Tuesdays and Fridays and. Uh, I don't see it as an addiction. Of course I don't. <laughs> but, yeah. here, but I will say this, that we're joking about that a little bit. Sometimes sometimes in our lives, us people with addictive personalities uh, do uh, better, be- better bad behaviors, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit, it's not, it's not going to, I don't think the, uh, until, until the golf gets to the point where uh, you know, it's, I'm having a lot of consequences from it or the, mm. the, the, I'm drinking so much coffee that I can't tolerate myself and people around me can't, or if the tech thing is getting me to the place where I'm playing those multi 
player games and then have to get diapers because I can't leave the game. And then I start <laughs> using meth or something because actually right. I've had a couple of clients that that was the case. So each, every one of these, you know, could lead to something worse. So, all right. So that's my, that's yeah. my response just to that. But I want to say something about the, uh, about the, about the addiction, uh, severe addiction versus, uh, mild addiction, yeah. <laughs> uh, high functioning, uh, uh, and, and how it relates to trauma and how it uh, compares to trauma. Okay, so uh, I think the three, so we've talked a lot about alcohol and drugs. That's the one people think of when we think of addiction. But there's people dying from what I consider to be the three most normalized uh, addictions, food, love, work. Mm. There's more people dying from obesity than all the drugs put together. People are killing themselves over their lover leaving them. 80% of suicides are, uh, they did a study at UT about people that suicide uh, that didn't, the, the, uh, it was an unsuccessful suicide, but a serious one. And 80% of them said that they the thing that pushed them over the edge was some kind of a romantic uh, breakup, hurt, uh, pain thing. Really? And uh, to me, that's points directly to love addiction although those suicides are never identified as an addiction neither are neither is uh neither are uh uh eating disorders or uh they're never identified as an addiction they're identified as a obesity problem right, right. let's get yeah. some more medi medicate them and that or get some kind of go in and do something surgical <clears throat> mm -hmm. and then of course there's the work thing that men are men and women but women are trying to climb the ladder with the men who are idiots for trying to climb that ladder that they could, you know, it's dangerous up there. Why is everybody working so hard to be at the top of the corporate, whatever. Yeah. So yeah. these are, and it's killing people, but those are not considered addictions <laughs> and right. they are addictions. And there's a 12 step program for each one of those, uh, that, but you have to, and, and the 12 step programs work hundred percent of the time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave a little space there because people, uh, well, that didn't work for me, which is the biggest joke I've ever, 12-step recovery didn't work for me. Of course it didn't. It doesn't work for anybody. You have to work it. Yeah. But yeah. And for anybody that works the whole program, it works. Absolutely. Uh, and, it, and it relates, just one last thing, and it relates to the trauma uh, delusion that we have that only abuse and PTSD kind of shocking uh bombs going off sort of things are what we're talking about. We're talking about trauma. No, mm -hmm. the most, just like food, love and work are, are not thought of as bad addictions, right? Mm -hmm. Enmeshment in our family where uh, we had to grow up too quick or didn't grow up at all, ever. Uh, all the shit that happened to us as kids <laughs> that we've taken into our adult life is even more insidious and more ubiquitous and more under treated then then the then the only advantage somebody who has severe abuse has over over anyone else is the fact that they know where their work is the yeah. rest of us are like scratching our heads saying shit like i'm from a good family i don't have any trauma there's right. so much denial about our trauma there's so much denial about the ways that we're self-medicating mm -hmm. and it's not a, i'm not trying to hand people a hammer to beat up on themselves i'm just saying hey it's possible to get freedom from this stuff, but you have to put yourself in a, I had to put myself in a circle of people who understood, uh, who understood this stuff. And then I can see myself in them. That's yes. how all this works.
Very well said. Let's talk, first of all, congratulations on finishing the book because we did an episode a couple years back. And in that episode, you were talking about, yeah, I'm writing this book. Uh, stop doing shit you don't want to do. You kind of giggled a little bit and you were like, I just got to finish and put a bow on it. I'm so close. So congratulations on finishing it. Um, what is kind of the synopsis? What did, why did you write the book? Who's it for? Uh, when yeah. is it, when is it out? How can people go find it? Is it, is it, uh, available on, in paperback? Is it PDF yeah. only? Like, tell us a little bit about the book and then where people can find it. Stop doing shit. You don't want to do the subtitle is how, how unresolved trauma is running our lives. So mm. I think I've already introduced the book. Yes, you definitely have. You definitely have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, here's the formula. I I call it recover, heal, launch, Mm -hmm. right? Recover, heal, launch, recover. In other words, where am I, where am I adjusting my chemistry in my life? We just very, we unpacked that very well together. I thought, Tony, didn't you just now? Yeah, absolutely. We did. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's the first step. And here's the reason because until then, I, if I'm still medicating my chemistry, I cannot really fully work on my trauma. That's like what you were saying. You were in a men's group, still drinking, trying to do your trauma work. And they yep. were saying, uh, Tony, yeah, nah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, the, uh, And then, you know, once we start, start offloading the messages that got handed to us over all these years, original messages, and then the messages that we stack up on top of that, they call it complex trauma, meaning I was so far off of my trajectory of authenticity that I was slamming into walls and collecting more trauma, right? right? So until we kind of calm down our nervous system, we can't really work on the trauma, And once we start working on the trauma, then we can get to the third most important part, recover, heal, launch. We want to launch into that authentic life that for 90% of the people I work with has some kind of creative bliss component to it, right? There's some kind of creative, either writing or some something. So uh, that's a, that's the that that it's a workbook. At the end of each chapter, there's an opportunity to unpack this stuff. Uh, to find to find the book uh, right now, uh, there's going to be several versions, which is a uh, Kindle uh, paperback and uh, also an Audible version over the next nice. couple of months. So right now, the thing to do is go to bobbear.com and get on my free newsletter, The Bear Truth. I don't know. Love it. Actually, I'll do a little test. Uh, do, do is that too arrogant? The no, no. Like I've got the truth. Uh, no, because it's bear <laughs> like a bear. I like it yeah. a lot. Actually, it's, it's yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So we'll see if your listeners say what an arrogant prick he is. <laughs> write a newsletter called the Bear Truth, but it sounds so cool. I couldn't resist. But anyway, it's free, and you know, if you like some of the stuff Tony and I are talking about today, that's pretty much the the dialogue and it's a free newsletter and I've got a lot of other programs, but that's how, uh, actually, I think we're going to give the book away for, for the, for the first, uh, certain period of time or very cheap. Uh, but all of your listeners, I'm glad to make sure they get one free in the first, first 30, 60 days. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate that. And then lastly, if somebody, uh, was listening and wanted to work with you on a treatment, 
program. Are you still running deep waters? How how do they how do they work with you if they're ready and they heard something and 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 they're they're ready to take that on? Is there is there a way to work? Do you have a facility there? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. How 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 does that work? Where do people find that? I see a, I see a very few amount of clients and coaching slash therapy whatever psychodynamic work mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. So, uh, but I also do a weekend or there's a whole group of us that do a weekend. And actually I got to get you out here to be on staff, Tony, sometime. Uh, we, the deep waters experience it's for men and women. It's an intensive, uh, opportunity to deal with trauma and it has a recovery umbrella over it. Mm. Uh, so deepwatersrecovery.com is the access to that. But if you want to keep it simple for yourself, you can just go to bobbear.com and, I can send you to uh, either the counseling practice or to the Deep Waters Experience, uh, which is a nonprofit. Uh, there's no charge up front, but it's by donation. <clears throat> so it's, we want to make sure that we keep this work available to everyone. And just for the spelling of the website is Bob Bear, B-E-A-R-E. Yep. Dot com. Beautiful. Beautiful. Bob, thank you so much for coming on. It's always so great to chat with you. I just, we have so much in common. I will get down to Texas, uh, to staff golf, whatever the case may be. Um, but I just so appreciate your wisdom and your insight. Uh, you're somebody that I look up to as a mentor and I just, I, I just feel really reassured talking to you. You're, you're funny. And I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing your time today. Thanks. All right, Tony, what a blast. Yep. If you are someone who is looking for a safe program to step into your new sobriety as a hero's journey, I can think of no better guide than Dr. Bob. To find out about his Deep Waters Recovery Program and how it can launch and support you in your healing, go to www.deepwatersrecovery.com. Thank you so much, base campers. Good luck on your hero's journey, and we'll see you around the fire next week. If you find value in our show and wish to show us some love, we are now making that very easy to do. You simply go to www.basecampformen.com and click on Donate Support Basecamp. You'll find an easy way to make either monthly donations for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate just once. We love the monthly donation and hope to build this up over the coming months, but any show of support is greatly appreciated, honestly. Thank you for your support and for helping to keep Basecamp as a resource on your hero's journey. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac and you're listening to Base Camp for Men.